Hello, and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you'd like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you'd like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 256-483-4991. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now, get ready as our lead pastor, Steve Husky, starts a brand new series entitled Bad Girls of the Bible. Right, good morning, Faith Church. Good to see you guys today. Hey, thanks so much for being with us. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor here at Faith Church, and it is our privilege to host you guys. Want to welcome all of our faith family, man. It's great to have you guys in the house. Want to welcome all of our guests, man. It is our privilege to have you. Want to welcome those who are watching online. Can we give it up for those who are joining online? Thanks for tuning in. So, hey, it's the big day. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here, right? Woo! Got to love some moms. Moms, we love you. We're so glad that you're here. We hope today has already been a great day for you as we celebrate moms. We love doing things a little bit different here at Faith Church, which is why we provided some skits, and we got some stuff out there in the lobby for you. Moms, we want to encourage you a couple of things. Um, we have, besides the cupcakes and the coffee, we have a place set up in the gym. We, we have some massage therapists there ready to give you, some, uh, give you some massage therapy. So we'd encourage you to take advantage of that. That's for free, just our way to bless you because we know that kids create some stress for moms. Can we get an amen? So go get some stress relief. Also, in order to help um, advance your stress relief, we have some bath bombs if you don't know what a bath bomb is, uh, you need to grab one. They're for free. Just fill up a tub of water, get in, and bomb the water. My wife loves them and uses them. So those are gifts for you guys. Just our way of saying thank you, moms. We love you. We celebrate you. We think you're awesome. Can we give it up for moms one more time? Also, we got a couple, uh, couple giveaway shirts that we have made just for moms. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. This is an XL. Anybody like to have this? I'll let you guys give those out. You can find somebody. This one is, uh, this is a large mom life. Got any mom life people? I can get you. Okay. That was, yeah, I appreciate you not wearing that because you have a, like a thing and that would be awkward. So uh, mom squad, mom squad, another XL. Ryan, you can find somebody. Let's see. Mom game strong. I, mom game strong. <laughs> Brandon Spath. <laughs> Let's see, one more, one more over here. Ronnie, help me out over here. This is, um, this is a medium. Uh, let's see, uh, they call me mama. They call me mama. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Well, listen, man, great to have you guys here. Listen, we are starting a brand new series today entitled Bad Girls of the Bible because you got to love some bad girls on Mother's Day, right? So um, let me just tell you, we were, I was with... Uh, Oh, well, let me pray. I want to pray real quick because I just remember I've been stirred all week before we get into this. Really, I, I've had a hard time, man, wrestling this to the ground. I believe God has something to say today. So I want you all to pray with me, okay? Father, we love you, God. We thank you for the grace and the hope and the peace and the joy in the life that we find in Jesus. I pray, God, every person today, God, would experience life change. Lord, I pray that they would hear not what I want to say but what you want to say. God, let us receive it. Father, walk in it. And, Lord, I pray, God, this week you help the Cavs, God, come to the Eastern Conference Finals. God, bring a ring to the land. In Jesus' name, and everybody agreed, said amen? Amen. amen. So listen, um, this past week, I got to hang out with some of my staff. We went down to Atlanta for a conference, and 
Part of the trip down, I got to spend some time with Archie. He was driving, and I was riding shotgun. I was providing the directions. He was providing the erratic driving. And uh, we're glad to be alive today uh, because of Jesus' grace and not because of his driving. But anyway, so we're driving. And if you don't know Archie, he's, you know, he's our lead worship guy. And, you know, worship people, arts people, they're kind of a little bit different the way they think. And so him and I, we got into a conversation about football. I know we got some football people in the house. I don't give you much opportunity to do it. Come on, Alabama fans in the house. Roll Tide. Got, got some Roll Tide people. Uh, got some Auburn people. Got some War Eagle people in the house. Oh, second service. Got some War Eagle in the house. We got any Tennessee fans? Couple. We got any Ohio State fans in the house? First service, I promise. There was more Ohio State, but I'm going to give it in. Oh, wait. Woo, yeah, thank you for that. So here's the thing, man. We are football fans. It's, it's part of our culture, part of who we are as a nation. But here's kind of what's funny is the game of football is and has been evolving because some of you know this, man. It's, it really has been proven that there's a lot of statistics. Guys who play the game, they get concussions, they get older in life, and they lose function. It's really kind of a scary thing. So Archie and I are having this debate, and the debate is as they navigate change within the NFL it's going to bleed down into college ball. It's going to bleed down into high school ball. Because there's a tension, especially in the NFL. They're trying to figure out how to keep the players safe, but at the same time to keep them in as much risk as possible because viewers like to be the, like, we like to see the big hits. And if they've got a lot of viewers, they have a lot of revenue. If they start kind of declining the game too much, people quit watching and they lose money. So they're trying to change the game in a way to keep it safe, but keep it kind of fun. And this whole dynamic's going on and so Archie, just so you know, like I'm on the side, they get paid millions of dollars, hit and be hit. Come on, somebody. All right, all right. But Archie, he's in his high voice, and I think they should just wrap him up and just drag him to the ground. And so he's got his opinion, and I got mine. We're going back, but it, it is. It's a complex issue. And so, we're, again, we're just talking about the change of football and how hard it is to navigate that change and find a good balance. And we transitioned from that conversation, and we started talking about a show that's on TV that he watches uh, my wife watches, sometimes I'll watch it with her, and it's a reality show. Maybe you've seen it. It's My 600-Pound Life, and it's a tough show. It's about these people who've really gotten very morbidly obese and how they got there, and it, it's kind of like a year to 18 months of following their life and kind of the psychology of how they got there, and they're trying to lose weight, and they're getting um, you know, gastric bypass surgery, and some people can't even lose the weight to get the surgery, and some of them lose the weight and do great uh, some of them lose the weight and they regain it. And so we're just talking about how tough it is for these people to change and, you know, the people who are enabling them. Again, so kind of our whole conversation for about a four-and-a-half-hour drive was just around change, which is great because today what I wanted to talk to you about is change. Because all of us in this room, you may say, Pastor Steve, I'm not a football player and I don't weigh 600 pounds, even though at times I feel like I look like I weigh 600 pounds. Like, you know, we don't weigh 600 pounds. We're not football players. So, you know, what's that have to do with me? And the reality is all of us in this room, we have tried at different times in our life to navigate change and sometimes starting things and stopping things, sometimes embracing new life and letting go of old life. Sometimes that's really, really difficult. Amen. Sometimes that's a challenge to change gears in our life. And sometimes it's small things. You know, we have habits in our life that we need to break. And, you know, maybe you're struggling with smoking. You're trying to figure out that or you're a midnight snacker and you know, you know that's not healthy, or you're trying to start ha healthy habits of working out, or, you know, I'm a nail biter. I know. I know none of you guys have any bad habits. It's, ooh, I got that. Don't. My wife feels the same way. I don't like, I'm not the guy that gnaws my fingers raw, but, 
you know, sometimes I see a long nail and I bite it instead of cut it. You know, what can I do? And so trying to navigate that, you know, we all have these things. And sometimes it's not little habits. Sometimes the change that we're contemplating and the change that we're looking at, the change we're wrestling through, sometimes it's big issues like relationship, that maybe you're in a relationship and it's not really healthy, but you're afraid if you let go of that relationship, you may not find another relationship. Sometimes it's our financial health that we know that we need to make changes, that our retirement's not looking good, or we're living, you know, kind of, you know, we're living in debt. It's not comfortable paycheck to paycheck, late notices, and we feel the stress of that, and we recognize we need to change. Maybe it's our physical health. Maybe it's our marriage. But, but here's the reality is all of us in this room, and maybe today you are in a season of life where you recognize that change is necessary, that change is important, but you're wrestling through, can you do it? Do you really have to do it? And, and so today I just want to talk for a little while about kind of the complexities and the difficulties and the necessities of change that all of us go through. Again, especially if you're here and today God's been speaking to your heart or maybe it's not God, maybe you've got some, just some people in your life that are challenging you. Because here's the thing, for all of us in this room, this is, this is really the big deal. Here's two questions I want to talk about. Is why is change so hard? Why is change so hard? I think one of the reasons that change is hard is because we have this tension in our life. We have the tension where we have the catalyst of change and we have the resistance of change. Where we have voices, sometimes it's our boss, sometimes it's our spouse, sometimes it's just friends in our life that are telling us, hey, listen, this isn't healthy and they're challenging us to change or challenging us to live different. Sometimes we don't need outside voices. Sometimes we just know. We lay our head on the pillow at night. We look in the mirror and we recognize there's just areas of our life that aren't healthy, or if it's not healthy, it's just not what we want it to be yet. We're not there yet. And we feel that, that catalyst, that push to change. But at the same time, how many people here know you feel that resistance to change? Where it's just kind of the old habits and the old lifestyles. And, you know, so it's that tension. There's the push to change and there's the resistance to change. Why is change so hard? Sometimes change is hard because we don't have the confidence that we can change. We may want to change, but we don't really believe we can change. Sometimes we don't have the courage to change. Like there's a change in your life you need to make, but like it's scary to take that step, to transition jobs, to go back to school. Sometimes it's just the conviction to change. Like other people think that we need to change, but we're okay being me, right? I think at the end of the day, probably one of the biggest resistance to change and why change is so hard is just it's just comfortable it's comfortable like we're okay we probably should change maybe this area needs adjustment in our life but at the end of the day it's more comfortable being who we are than maybe trying to be or trying to stretch to who we need to be but here's the second question we're going to really tackle today and i think this is big is what is your unwillingness to change costing you because the longer you embrace a lifestyle, or the longer you embrace habits that are not healthy for you physically, emotionally, relationally, financially, those things are costing you something. Those things are costing you something. And so, right, so again, we've all been in the place, and maybe again, some of us are here today, where we look at change and we realize we need change and maybe even want change, but it's hard to navigate, it's difficult, there are, there are obstacles, there are personal issues, and it's just hard. Two things real quick I want you to hear also, that change is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Y'all are real quiet today. Anybody here ever know that change is really, really hard? It's hard. It's hard to change. It's hard to adjust. It's hard to be someone different, do something different, to embrace something different. But I'm telling you, even though it's the hardest thing you'll ever do, it's going to take effort. It's going to take work. 
Here's really what I want you to hear again. Change is the hardest thing you'll never do. It's the hardest thing you'll never do, which means if you don't embrace the change that's in your heart, that's in your life, that's in front of you, if you don't make the adjustments, if you don't embrace the change, if you don't do the thing, if you don't step into the new season, if you don't get out of the old, is anybody with me today? It's going to cost you something. It's going to be the hardest thing you'll never do. The longer you wait to do it, the more you'll regret that you didn't do it sooner. And so I just believe that I just, God sent me here today to encourage you, motivate you, push you, challenge you, whatever it takes, because I believe God has in us and ready for us. And maybe you're here and you're not a God follower. Maybe you're new to church. Maybe you're new to spiritual things. And at the end of the day, maybe the God component isn't part of your life. I'm just telling you, we're all in the same boat because all of us can look at our lives and recognize area we need change. So Jesus, he has a conversation and he introduces us to the first bad girl of the Bible. That's what I'm going to talk about, bad girl of the Bible. Like, just tell people when you, when you leave, if you're like, what'd you do today? So I went to church, and we talked about bad girls. Like, don't even say anything else. Don't even qualify. Just, we talked about bad girls. And you got to say it like, and then walk away. Like, I'm in this faith church, be there next week. People just come because that just sounds, yeah, anyway. So, <laughs> so Jesus, he, he has a conversation, and he introduces us. To the first bad girl we're going to talk about, and here's, here's the conversation Jesus has. It's initiated by this group of people called the Pharisees. Now, let me just give you the setup. So there were all of these prophecies, all of these promises that God gave that he would send a Messiah, that he would send a deliverer, that he would send a rescuer. And it was sent to the nation of Israel, this group of people, and God promised that this Messiah would be born out of this nation. And so they were waiting for him to come, and, and they got so focused on one side of this message that the Messiah would come and he would be a deliverer. That, and they thought when the Messiah showed up that he would rescue them from Roman rule, that he would be a king, that he would set up a throne, that he would have an army, that he would, he would wipe out the Roman Empire because at this time the Jews are subject to the Roman Empire. And so the Pharisees have been listening to Jesus teach. They've watched his miracles. They've seen all this stuff happen. And they, they come to Jesus and they say this. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? What they're saying is put up or shut up. Like we've been hearing you teach and we've been watching the miracles, but when are you going to start an army? When are you going to establish a throne? When, like when are you going to wipe out our, our Roman occupier? You know, when is that going to happen? Show me the physical kingdom. And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say here it is or it's over there for the kingdom of God is already among you. Here's what Jesus was saying. Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God, it's, it's right now it's spiritual, it's not physical. That it's something that's in the hearts of people, that as people decided to follow Jesus and trust Jesus and, and put their hope in Jesus, that hearts change and lives change. And so Jesus was saying, hey, it's not about a building, it's about a body. It's not about an army of soldiers marching, it's about an army of disciples following that a group of people would decide to put their hope and put their trust in Jesus as their Messiah, as their deliverer, as their rescuer. And so Jesus was saying, the kingdom, it's not, a, it's not a place you can point to on the map. It's not a geographical location. It's something that's happening in the hearts of people. But Jesus knew that there would be a physical kingdom, and he, so he transitions and he looks at his disciples. So he stops talking to the Pharisees. I love this. He basically turns his back on the Pharisees, and then it says this, 
says, then he said to his disciples, the time is coming. Y'all got to read this with me. The time is coming when you'll long to see the day when the Son of Man returns, but you won't see it. So he's saying there will be a physical, right now it's a spiritual kingdom, right now it's about life change and transformation and hope and salvation in the heart. He's saying as you live this life, he's saying you're going to get so tired and exhausted. As you look around this world and you see hopelessness and you see prejudice and you see heartbreak, as you see death and you see destruction, he says even my people who have hope in the heart, he said you're just going to go get so sick and tired of all that you see, you're going to long for the day that I come back and set up this physical kingdom. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm looking for it. He says, and people will tell you, look, there's the Son of Man, or here he is. But he says, don't go out and follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on that day when the Son of Man comes. He's saying, he's saying, when that kingdom comes, he's saying, like, it's going to be obvious. It's not going to be, it's not going to take place on the back of a mountain. You're not going to have to read about it in a magazine. He's saying the same way when lightning strikes and everybody sees it, it lights up the sky. Jesus says, when I come back, everybody's going to know about it. I like it. He goes on. He says, but first, this is big. So Jesus came first. The Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. So Jesus is saying, right, the first time he was here, Jesus came as a suffering servant. Jesus made it very clear right in the beginning. He said this. He said, he said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So the first time Jesus came, he came as a suffering servant, laying down his life, dying on the cross. So we had hope. So we had forgiveness. So we had a Messiah. So we had a deliverer. But he's saying he's coming back. Everybody say that he's coming back. When the Son of Man returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. So Jesus came first time. He's coming back a second time. And he makes this comparison. This is where he changes gears. He's saying, as we're waiting for him to come back, he's, gonna, he's saying this. He's saying, when the Son of Man returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. Now, some of you have been in Sunday school, and you know the story of Noah and the ark, and God sends a flood, and Right, all the earth is destroyed, and regardless of how you feel about that or where you stand on that, still the story holds true. He's saying it's going to be the same way. Watch this. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat, and the flood came and destroyed them all. So he's saying, right, Noah, one of the things we know about Noah is Noah preached repentance. Now, I know that's a word we don't use a lot, repentance, but it just means change. Everybody shout change that Noah stood out and he just said, hey, listen, y'all need to change. There's something in your life that's not healthy, it's not right, it's not moving in the right direction. You need to change. You need to change. You need to, if you stay in that lifestyle, it'll cost you something. So you got to change. And people refused to change. And the reason they refused to change wasn't because they said, nope. It's just they were caught up in everyday life. They were going to weddings. They, they were going to graduation parties. Holy cow. Is every, like, how many people graduated one time? So we put a stop on the graduation. If you didn't get one to us by now, tough. No gift from the Huskies because we're done. Graduations, like he's saying, he's saying they were so busy living life that they didn't feel like they could change. Watch this. He transitions here and goes to another story. And the world will be like it was in the days of Lot. You know the story of Lot. Maybe there's two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. God looks at them. They're living these lifestyles. Again, God's like looking at it, saying there needs to be change. They refuse to change, so God decides to judge these cities, wipes them out. 
And listen to what he says. He says, people went about, you got to read this. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking and buying and selling, farming and building. Until the morning, Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven, destroying them all. So what he's saying is, even though, even though God was looking at change, and God had change, and God called them to change, like they were so busy with their daily business. They were so busy in their daily routines. They were so caught up in who they've always been and what they've always done that they didn't feel the need to change. They didn't feel like they could change. or They didn't realize maybe change was an option. Because here's what I know is, every person in this room, we're creatures of habit. Like some of you, you already know, tomorrow's not even here yet, and you already know what tomorrow holds. You know when you're going to get up, you know what you're going to eat, you know where you're going to go, you know how you're going to get there, you know what you're going to do when you get home, you know, right? Like you already, and so you've already decided all of tomorrow, even though tomorrow's not even here yet. You know why? Because we're people of routine and habit. And so the idea of changing, of maybe getting up early so you can work out, the idea of changing, of of maybe adjusting where you go after you get work, because if, if I'm honest and I'm not pointing fingers because you're going to find a day I'm going to point some fingers at myself, but maybe your routine and maybe your habit is like, like you just are who your dad was and who his dad was, and so you come home and like it's how you talk to your wife. It's not really appropriate. It's not attractive, but this is just who I am. She's got to get over it. But the way you talk to your wife, the way you have conversation, your relationship, it's just corrosive and it's destroying your marriage. It's costing you something if you don't change. Maybe some of you, your routine is, right, that you go to work and you're bringing home a paycheck and you love your wife and kids or you love your husband and kids and that's not really a debate, but before you go home, you stop at the bar and it's not one drink or two drinks, it's three, four, five, six, and like you recognize that's not really healthy, but it's not a big deal. You feel like maybe you should change, your spouse is in your ear to change, but you don't really want to change. So there's that tension and here's, here's what I want you to know, listen to this, is that routine is often a rut that keeps you from a personal revolution, See, all routines aren't good. Some of us are in the daily routine of life. And you need to change, and I need to change, and we feel the catalyst to change, and people are telling us to change, and our doctor is telling us, you need to change your life, and our spouse is challenging us to change, and our bosses are calling us, and we feel that, but that change is so difficult. And here's the reality is that your routine can be a rut. You can get stuck in a rut. I heard someone say this way, that a rut is nothing but a grave with two ends kicked out. Like, you're just going to die in that place. Your marriage is going to die in that place. You're, right? Your hopes and dreams are going to die in that place if you don't change the routine. You guys heard me talk about, you know, I've just been on this constant journey of trying to get healthy and stay healthy. And sometimes I do well for a while, and then sometimes I fall off. And so one of the biggest things is, like, really changing your routine, not just adjusting for a while, but trying, trying to change your routine. And so I've just made a decision. Uh, our, our trainer has just challenged me. No matter where you go, Steve, get 30 minutes of cardio every day. Get 30 minutes of cardio. That doesn't sound a lot until you've got to do 30 minutes. And then it sounds like four hours. Come on, someone help me. I'm like, how about three minutes? I'll start with three, and if I get three, we'll see what the 20, other 27 is looking right. So we were down in Honduras. Some of you guys know this about a month and a half ago. And so Every day we go to the work site, it's hot, we're building houses out in the heat, but I would come back and it's, it's not enough to work, you got to get your heart rate up. So in, in the room, I'm doing some cardio, like in my room, and I got my own bedroom, I'm in with two other guys in our church, they're in a room, I'm in my room, we've got a common living space. So we come back, I'm hot and sweaty, I don't have a lot of clothes, I got work clothes and I got clean clothes, and I'm not putting on clean clothes to work out, so I took all my clothes off, except t-shirt and underwear. Now, don't get a mental picture. You'll get stuck the rest of the service. <laughs> but that's all I got on. And I'm, on my room. I'm in my room like flash dance, baby. I'm maniac, maniac. 
teeny. And like I'm working in calisthenics and I'm doing this stuff and I walk out, it's hot in my room. I got to go out to the main living space to get the controller to turn the air conditioner on my room because it works all three air conditioners. I walk out, you can imagine the guys got comments. They said, you have a G-string on, all this side, blah, blah, blah. Christian men, who they need to change too. But anyways, <laughs> so we're joking. So I go back in the room, turn the air conditioner on, I close my door, I'm working out. Well, the cleaning ladies that are at this hotel were saying, they don't speak any English, none. And we don't speak any Spanish. So what they do is they come and knock on the door. When they come and knock on the door, it doesn't matter if you say, come in, don't come in. They don't speak English. So their knock isn't, can I come in? Their knock is, I'm coming in. So I hear a knock on the door outside, and I hear the lady come in, and I think she's just dropping off towels. Well, before the guys can stop her, she walks right in the room, and I'm just telling you, she got this, a surprise. <laughs> so I was just, she's, she spoke, I don't know what she said, but it probably wasn't good Spanish, but she said something backed up real quick. So, you know, I, I try to be kind of quick-witted, so real quick, I grab the door, I open up, she's walking out embarrassed, and I was like, Feliz Navidad, which is Merry Christmas, baby. <laughs> but it's kind of this routine, right? I'm trying to get into a routine because you got to change. Listen to me, some of you, here's a question for you. If routine is a rut that keeps you from personal revolution, here's a question for you. Rut, what routine are you in that needs to be broken? What routine do you have and how you talk, how you treat, where you go? It needs to be broken for you to change, for you to have a personal revolution. So Jesus goes on, he says this, he says, yes, it'll be business as usual. Everybody say that, business as usual. Right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. He says, on that day, a person out on the deck of the roof must not go down into the house to pack, and a person out in the field must not return home. And then he introduces us in this profound way. He introduces us to our first bad girl of the Bible. He says, remember what happened to Lot's wife. Now, just real quick, if you've ever felt a challenge to memorize scripture, right, two scriptures everybody can memorize. Number one, Jesus wept. And number two, New King James says, remember Lot's wife. That's two verses in five words. That's a win. Everybody say, Jesus wept, remember Lot's wife. Y'all memorizing the Bible, hiding it in your heart. But he says this, and right away. So he's already been talking about Noah. He's already been talking about life. And then Jesus, it's he's such a great teacher. He knows exactly what people need to hear to wake them up. Like, I think he's taught long and kind of they're lolling to sleep. They're maybe tracking. And then Jesus, remember Lot's wife. And right away, like everybody knew, the disciples knew, everybody in that culture knew exactly who she was. They knew exactly who she stood for. They knew exactly what her life represented. And immediately, man, I think they just started doing like an advice. Where do I need to change? How do I need to be ready when Jesus comes back? Like what area of my life needs to adjust? And again, it's not just spiritual stuff. It's just like what, am I, what, what routine am I living that needs to break that I can go on and change and grow? Because business is usual. Everybody said business is usual. Jesus is saying business as usual. Now, listen, I don't think any human being, regardless of your religious background or non-religious background, I just don't think we were ever brought in this world to be business as usual people because we have dreams and hopes and aspirations. There's things we want. There's things we long for. There's, there's things we're living for, and they don't come automatic. You've got to work for them. You've got to change to get them. Come on, somebody. But as Christ followers, if you're here and you're a Christ follower, I don't think business as usual should ever be an option. 
Every time we show up in church and a word is preached, a message comes forth, God wants to use that as a catalyst for change in your life. God is calling us. Our life should be continuing to evolve and to change and to grow because that's part of our spiritual process. That's part, right? The, the word describes our journey as like growing up. So change should be a part of who we are, of continuing to let things go and embrace new things. So he says, remember Lot's wife. So let's go back and let's check out Lot's wife. Right? Some of you guys know the story. Again, God decides he's going to destroy these cities. And so there are some people that God's going to save, some righteous people, because Abraham's praying, praying mamas. We love praying mamas. I'm telling you, don't ever stop praying for your kids. Don't ever stop praying for your kids. If you can't do anything to influence the situation you're in and the decisions you're in, you can pray, and prayer changes situations. So Abraham's praying, and God, this is so cool, God sends two angels now, we don't know what they look like, but probably, I don't, I don't think they had big wings, probably just look like regular men, but God sends messengers. We know they weren't fat cherub babies floating on clouds because everybody would have known then. So God sends two angels into the city to bring Lot out, to rescue Lot and his family. And they're there, they're telling him, hey, destruction's coming, you need to go, and here's where the story picks up. Check this out. It says, at dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot, Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now or you'll be swept away in the destruction of the city. I want you to notice right in the beginning, this is, this is so big. Right in the beginning, the messenger gives them two options. You choose life or death. Life or death. See, again, I think for some of us, the reason we don't change is because we don't, we're not really convinced there's a big difference between, well, if I do that or this, if my marriage gets better, I do this. If I stop this, like it's not a big deal. Sometimes the change in your life is so critical that really what it comes down to is it's like a life or death decision. It's whether your marriage, your relationship, your physical health, your home, whether it's going to really live and thrive or it's going to die. And like sometimes we got to look and realize that like we're right on something really big. We're about to gain something or lose something depending on the decision we make. So you got to choose life or death. And when you choose life, and hopefully you do, when you choose to change, when you choose to embrace growth, he says, you got to hurry. If I shout hurry, it's like you got to decide to be in, in, in high gear. But here's what I found out is the pace of change. When you decide to change, the pace of your change is dictated by either your belief in consequences or your belief in a promise. Like if you really believe if I don't change, like my marriage is at risk. If I don't change, my health is at risk. If I don't do something different, if I don't, if I don't go through this, if I don't embrace this, like I'm going to lose something, it's going to cost me something. If you don't believe that, you'll never change. And what Lot had to wrestle with was this, is you got to remember he had money, he had position, he was, in, he was a somebody. And I believe he's looking around saying, I, I mean, I might be able to live this whole destruction thing out. I, I might be able to stay here. And this isn't profound, but I want you to hear this. The destructive lifestyles will destroy us if we stay in them. If you continue in the rut you're in and it's not healthy, it will eventually destroy you. I'm glad y'all are with me. Go ahead, Pastor. Now, I know that's not exciting, but I don't think we should call them lifestyles. Some of the things that you're in and some of the things sometimes I find myself in, probably they shouldn't be called lifestyles. They should be called death styles. 
Because it's killing, it's killing who we are. It's killing our potential. It's killing our dreams. It's killing our hope. It's killing our marriage. It's killing our relationship with our kids. It's killing what God has for us and it's killing the things that we really believe that we want in life. And so listen to me. There are some things that some of you are in right now, choices you're living, habits you're in, that if you hang on to those much longer, they're going to destroy you if you stay in them. And like... Lot and his family, they had to look and say, should we stay here or not? If you stay here, it's clear. You choose life or death. Man, I wrestle with this message and wrestle. And I feel like God wants me to tell some of you here that you're really at a place that you've heard it long enough, you've felt it long enough, you've looked in the mirror long enough, and you've got to choose. There has to be a push in you to choose life. And hurry. Everybody say hurry. Hurry. Like time's ticking. Every moment you stay in the destructive lifestyle, it's costing you something. Not just costing you something, but you're missing something greater. I love this. Watch how the story goes on. Read this with me. It says, when Lot still hesitated, so he wasn't sure, like us, like sometimes we know we need to change, but we don't change, want to change, but it's difficult to change. When Lot still hesitated, now listen, if angels come to your door... If angels show up, I'm just telling you, just change, just, just change. But Lot hesitated because he's like us. We struggle with change. When Lot still hesitated, y'all read it with me. The angels seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed him to safety outside the city for the Lord was merciful. You know what I want to tell you today? And this is really, I think, the biggest promise I can give you is if God gives you a word to change, he'll give you the power to change. If God calls you to change, he'll equip you to change. If God calls you to do something different, he'll give you the grace and the mercy to do that thing different. Listen, he struggled. God sent angels, and he didn't just bring a message. These angels grabbed him by the hand, his wife and his daughters, and dragged him out of the city. I just believe that, listen, if you'll put your hope and trust in Christ, that he'll give you supernatural strength outside to yourself to change in a way you can never change on your own. Sometimes my angels look just like my wife. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. She is an angel. She is an angel. Come on, y'all. She is an angel. I didn't buy anything. Help a brother out. <laughs> Day's not over yet. Day's not over yet. She ain't my mom anyways. My mom's up in Ohio. Listen, I'm way up here. She can't reach me. All right, y'all ready? Keep going. When they were safely outside the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives. See, again, change. It's this subtle thing that like creeps up on us, starts to nag us. It's kind of like a splinter. And when you really understand what you need to leave behind or like the benefit of changing, like, wow, this is the life I could have. It's not run from your lives. Life isn't back there. Death is behind you. Run for your life. Run to embrace what's in front of you. It gives them two choices, life or death. Watch this, two commands. And don't look back or stop anywhere in the, in the valley. Don't look back and don't stop. Everybody say it. Don't look back and don't stop. We do this all the time in the process of change. We get in the middle of it and we stop. Or we look back. We look back and remember how it used to be. He goes on, he says this. He says, escape to the mountains or you'll be swept away. So 
He's in this city. God calls him out to change, change his life. Don't stay in that. That's not going to end well. You've got to change. And he says, I want you to go into the mountains. Now watch this. Don't forget this. He calls him to the mountains. <laughs> Listen to Lot's response. He says, oh, no, my Lord. Y'all have never prayed that before? I have prayed. Oh, no, Jesus. You, you must be kidding. Oh, no, my Lord, Lot beg. Watch this. He says, you've been so gracious to me and saved my life, and you've shown me such great kindness but I can't go to the mountains. Disaster would catch up to me there, and I would soon die. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, like, there's fire and brimstone getting ready to fall, and I'm, I can't run as fast as I used to, and so if i got to go all the way to the mountains, I'm probably not going to make it, so I don't know if I can make it to the mountains, so notice what he says. He says, see, there's a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. I hope you all get this. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. All right, the angel said, I'll, I'll grant your request and I'll not destroy the little village. So think about this. God calls him from point A to point B. And he looks at point B and he says, I don't know if I can get there. So let me settle here. Listen, I, I believe this. You may not believe this yet. I just believe that if you have a hope in you and you have a dream in you, that if you're looking forward and say, that, that's what my marriage can look like. That's what my life could look like. That's what my occupation could be. And it looks like a long way off. And you don't know if you can ever reach there. Listen, if God gave you a dream for the mountain, don't settle for the little village. If God gave you a dream for something great, don't settle for anything small. And he settles anyways. And he moves into this little village for a while. The story goes on. Almost done, but hurry. Escape to it, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. This explains why the village was known as Zoar, which means little place. And Lot's reached the village just as the sun was rising over the horizon. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. I know some of you are saying, I thought we were talking about Lot's wife. Here she is. He utterly destroyed them, along with the other cities and villages on the plain, wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife. But Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him and she turned into a pillar of salt. So here's the picture. God gives him two choices. You choose life or death. In order for you to get life, it's going to mean change. It's, it's going to be difficult. You've got to leave some stuff behind that you're comfortable with. You've got to embrace some stuff. And the Bible says, like, here's the picture. They're walking out of the city. They get out of the city. But Lot's wife is kind of hanging in the back because she's not really sure she wants to leave because even though she was out of the city, even though her body was out of the city, her heart was still in the city. Sometimes the greatest prayer we can pray is, God, before you change my circumstances, change my heart. And so her heart's really still there. So she's looking back. This word looking back doesn't mean like she's still checking things out. Like she's longing for what she used to have. And I don't know if I can just be honest and be vulnerable. There are times in my life, even as a pastor, even as a Christ follower, that something, it's weird. I can't explain it. Where I'm in a healthy place, I'm in a good place, and sometimes I still long for my, my old life. Is anybody with me? So, you know, last year I was up with, I got invited up to do a wedding, and all the old people I used to run with, people I used to party with, like everybody who I used to be was there. And so I get invited up to do this wedding, and I'm glad to go, glad to see friends I've not seen for years. And so everybody there is drinking, everybody there is partying but me. And I found myself for about half a second or a minute or two 
See, some of y'all don't want to be real, and that's why you struggle. And I'm like, see, I knew where God's called me to. But I can just tell you that every now and then, the reason we struggle with change is because there's this pull to look back and to long for what you used to have, to long for where you used to be, to long back to that, like you were comfortable. It doesn't cost anything to sit on the couch and not work out. It doesn't cost anything to work on your marriage. But in reality, it costs you everything. See, I've already talked about here. You can look back. We did a series, no big deal. And I talked about what I believe scripture talks about alcohol. But at least for me, I can't drink one or two. So I can tell you the pull was there. I can tell you the temptation was there. And here's the thing is, she got caught there. You say she turned into a pillar of salt. That sounds weird. Some of you guys have seen when Mount Vesuvius blew up. And there are still bodies that are encapsulated in ash. I believe that's what happened. I believe she got caught and burnt and just from the salt of the Dead Sea blowing. And so Jesus, when he says, remember Lot's wife, I believe they could go to a place on the plains of the Dead Sea and point to a structure there. Say, here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like when you get caught in the midst of wanting to change but not really wanting to change. You're kind of moving forward but not moving forward. Like, hurry. Because if you'll change, God will give you grace and God will give you strength to move from where you are to where he's called you to be. But you got to hurry and you can't drag your feet because it's going to cost you something. And Jesus ends what he was saying back in Luke 17 this way and we'll close. He says, if you cling to your life, come on, y'all read this. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. Have you, have you ever thought about... <laughs> Like I, I have, I've had these like imaginary conversations and lists in my head. I know we live in a, in a tornado area. Some of us, we think if a tornado comes, I'm going to grab, like I have a list of stuff I'm going to grab. I'm going to grab some of my guns. You're never going to know if you got to shoot somebody in a tornado or pray for them, one or the other. I'm going to grab some guns. My backpack, I carry it almost everywhere I go. It's got my laptop in it. My laptop has my life. I'm going to grab my laptop. Um, I got some other things I'm going to tell you, but like, I'm, I got some, st- like, I got a list of stuff I'm going to grab. My kids and wife are on there. Don't, they're number one. I just assumed y'all assumed they were on the list. Like, I'm going to grab it. Here's the thing. Listen, I might have a list of all these things, photo albums and important documents. Listen, if a tornado comes, you're not grabbing anything because none of it is worth your life. I'll not risk my life to grab a laptop and lose it in the effort to keep the laptop. Jesus is saying, if you cling to your life, if you keep holding on to stuff that's comfortable you keep hanging on to stuff that's defined you. He said, really, it's going to cost you something. Because you're going to lose ultimately this life you think you're holding on to. He says, but if you're willing to let go, if you're willing to say, God, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to continue in that rut. God, I don't want to keep missing the dreams and aspirations you have for my life. God, I'm willing to let go of the current routine and daily business of my life. Because I want more. And it's going to be hard, but I believe you'll give me grace. If you'll let go of your life, you'll save it. And so this Mother's Day, not just for moms, but for all of us, I pray that you'll let go of some things so you can grab a hold of the right things. Because here's the kicker. If you go on real quick and you read the rest of the story of Lot's wife, let me just tell you how it ends. Because she drags her feet and because of her disobedience to change and transition in life, her daughters are left without a mother, and more importantly, her husband, Lot, is left without a wife. One of the greatest things of that culture was it was important to have male children to pass on 
the name. Well, there was no male children. They had two daughters. So when you fast forward in the story, because of her disobedience to get caught up in a lack of change, fast forward, you find Lot in a mountain with his two daughters in a cave. They look at him, and they're having a conversation behind his back, and they're like, hey, we need to, have, we need to do something because we need a male child. And we don't have any husbands because they were destroyed, and I don't see any male children. So they decide to get their dad drunk, and they both sleep with their dad. They both get pregnant, and their offsprings become ultimately the nations that were some of the greatest enemies of the nation of Israel, the Ammonites and the Moabites. And I know pride doesn't mean anything, but I'm just saying because, they refu- because she refused to hurry and change, it compromised not just her family, it compromised generations. I started with two questions. Why is it so hard to change? And what is it going to cost you if you're unwilling to change? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that God all across this room, that God, you would help us just to do an inventory. God, an inventory of relationships and finances and physical health. God, help us to do an inventory of our hearts. And God, I pray, I know we already know, but Lord, just continue to point to that area where we need to change. Father, we need to transition. We need to grow. We need to expand. We need to evolve to let some things go, to embrace some new things. Lord, I pray, speak to every heart. As I close this in prayer, I'd love to pray for you personally. If you're here and say, Pastor Steve, like there are some areas in my life I know I need to change and I've been wrestling to change and I want to change, but it's hard, it's difficult. I keep looking back. If that's you all over this room, I want to pray for you and it's just a way for you to just acknowledge before God, God, I need your help. If that's you all over this room, you say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. I, man, I, need, I know I need change. I know I need to embrace change in my life. I need to let some things go and I need to embrace some new things. That's you, I want you to lift a hand real high. If your marriage is on the line, if your finance is on the line, if your health's on the line, if you've got dreams on the line, God's got big things for you and you're struggling to embrace them. All over this room, I want you to lift a hand real high and say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. Come on, I'm going to give you a minute. All over this room, lots of hands. Father, I pray for every person in this room that God, you would help us with grace and strength. God, to transition and change. God, help us to recognize what's it cost, what we can lose. And Father, I pray, God, help us to realize the promise ahead of us. God, the life we can have, the marriage we can have, the relationship we can have. Father, for willing to take difficult steps. And so, Father, we pray in Jesus' name, God, give us the grace to know and to change. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, can we thank God today?